Hello, my name is Charlie Moores and I interviewed Mark Constantine and Magnus Robb, two of the three co-founders of The Sound Approach, to celebrate the release of The Beauty of The Sound Approach, a selection of favourite bird recordings hand-picked by The Sound Approach team themselves with additional short commentaries which explain why some of the tracks mean so much to them. The following interview is with Magnus and was recorded in eastern Portugal in one of his favourite areas, the rolling savannah-like Montado region, close to the Tagus River and the border with Spain. Magnus has superb hearing and is liable to stop mid-conversation having just picked up the wispiest of sounds from hundreds of metres away. And like all true experts, he is always questioning and learning. The podcast starts off with a snippet of sound recorded at first light as we made our way towards some very interesting habitat, with Magnus, as always, fully tuned and on the alert. Did you catch that? If I'm not mistaken, that woodchat shrike was imitating a horse just now. (laughs) I I have to play that back. Yeah, it was doing... In fact, just to set the scene, we're looking, we're walking down a path and in front of us there's a hill in the distance and that hill is in Spain. Right. And between us and that hill is the river Tagus. We are in Portugal, but we're right on the Spanish border. Exactly, yeah. And we can hear hoopoos, corn buntings and woodchat shrike. And a, a woodlark as well. wonderfully free of traffic noise. Listen, listen, listen. Over there. Either it's an orphan warbler. Yeah. That's a western orphan warbler. At this point, I feel like uh, a minor swear word because it's only the 1st of April. That's the earliest I've ever heard one. That's amazing. And you were saying earlier, just before we started recording, that the shrikes are very early as well. Yeah, I'm really amazed about this, really astonished. It's not the first time I've ever had one in the first week of April, but it's... it's I get the feeling you'd like to head over in that direction. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. They, they tend to... Um, they have big habitats, and they're one of these birds that as soon as you get close to them, they fly 100 metres and sing somewhere else. <laughs> but we can try. So we're making our first stop in the morning, Magnus. What what are you uh, setting up here? Some very impressive looking kit. Well, I've got here what we call a SAS, which is a a box basically that has microphones on in it. And it's designed to be, it puts the microphones with a obstacle in between them, roughly the same distance apart as your ears are on either side of your head. So it's like putting, putting your head there and recording what you what you would hear if you put your head in the, the spot where you put it. And we came here to this one of my favourite spots this morning, and it's the 1st of April, um, and I was thinking we might get the first woodchat strike or something, but it turns out they're all here, they've obviously arrived en masse, and we've even heard the Western Orpheum Warbler. So um, everything's singing, and um, I just thought we'd stick out a microphone for a while and try and pick up the general the general scene. We've also got a Thecla lark singing overhead and imitating all kinds of stuff. Um, several pairs of woodchat shrikes, um, corn buntings. 
blue tits, um, with larks. It so seems to be hoopoos in almost every yeah. tree. It's remarkable. Yeah, like hoopoos are. Uh, we've got a sort of general cushion of hoopoo underneath everything. What else can we hear? Jurwing magpie in the distance. So I'll just stick this out and leave it for a while and yeah. see what we get. I was just going to say one of the key things here, Magnus, is you can't hear anything else. It's all natural sounds. That's right. There's no traffic, nothing. Yeah. Strangely, at nights, I get a lot of planes here, but not during the day. But it always seems that when I'm recording owls at night, I think to myself, oh, I should go somewhere that doesn't get so many planes. <laughs> but this morning, we've not heard one yet. Ah, it's a, a beautiful morning. Right. Yeah. Magnus, you've placed the mics under a tree, um, hoping to get Western Orpheum Warbler, and we'll talk about that because it's one of the key species out here, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but we've had to walk quite a way back from where you place them because uh, you're saying your mics are so sensitive they'll pick up even us talking from about a couple of hundred yards away. Yes, we have to move quite some distance away, just really to avoid recording ourselves. So what is it about the Western Orpheum Warbler that makes it so interesting from your perspective? Um, well, I have to say one of the reasons is they're quite rare here in Portugal. The, where I live on the coast and um, I have to go quite a long way inland to start picking up Western Orpheum Warblers and they're never numerous. Even around here this is a very good place for them and there's just, you know, they're scattered one every few hundred metres or something. Um, it's also a bird with a beautiful song, really nice song very simple and very um, nice thrush-like um, timbre. Um, it's always a pleasure to hear one. It's also a bird that really likes quality habitat, so whenever you hear a western orpheum warbler, you're in a good place. It's an indicator species of habitat exactly. quality. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. This sort of rolling habitat, it's very stony ground. Uh, there's a carpet of rosemary these scattered holm oaks this is exactly the kind of habitat the bird likes yes but it's it's uh, you know as is often the case i look at other very similar looking places and think why are there no worse orphans here yeah. so there's obviously they have criteria that are too subtle for me to notice <laughs> you've presumably recorded eastern orphans somewhere else yes what's the habitat like there is it fairly similar um well i've recorded them in greece and armenia and places like that and to be honest, the habitat was quite varied, but also it would be it would be fairly open with large bushes. Um, in Armenia, they were on on hillsides with just a few bushes. Right. In Greece, they were in areas with much, with a lot more cover. One of the interesting things is that both species have strong relationships with shrikes. Right. It's a bit like barred warbler and red-black shrike in northern Europe. Wherever there's western orphan warbler, there's usually woodchat shrikes as well. And with um, with eastern orphan warbler, it's often um, mask shrike, or it can be woodchat shrike. But they seem to they seem to have a an important relationship. I, I imagine they stop singing by the end of May or something. Yeah. Well, actually, with western orphan warblers they have a particular song that they use to attract a female. So if a female appears in the, in the territory, 
they go from their usual fairly simple song to something much more elaborate. Um, and we coined a, a name for that, uh, which was ultra crystallized song. Uh, these particular, you know, with the Western Orpheum Warblers, the song becomes longer and much more intricate, and there's you'll hear more imitations. And that's something that clearly you're going to have more chance of hearing that in the beginning of the breeding season than later on, because now most of the males are without a female. I think I'd say this this particular male, there's a very very good chance that it literally arrived last night. Um, there is a northern wind now, so that counts against it a bit. But it's so early; it's really almost unheard of to have one this early. Is it a species with a a very varied song, or does it tend to repeat the same sort of um, phrasings every time you hear them? Are they are, are they instantly recognisable? Are they instantly recognisable as as Western Orpheum? Yeah, yeah. Yes, but there is one there is one catch, which is that, uh, as I was saying, there's this relationship between. Um, woodchat and western orphan warbler and the woodchats actually quite often they imitate the song of the that was why I hesitated when we heard one this morning yeah yeah. you were recording me talking literally at the moment when I heard it yeah. and I had to hesitate for, for a few seconds to hear if it was going to carry on like a western orphan or suddenly change into a red leg partridge <laughs> in which case it would have been the shrike exactly how accurate is the mimicry of a shrike then it's pretty good with shrikes, they tend to be a bit harsh. Yeah. So they'd be a slightly harsher timbre than, than it would be if it was a real Western Orpheum. And one of the things about both woodchat shrikes and redback shrikes is that um, they do long imitations. So they'll do like five seconds of Western Orpheum warbler or blackbirds. And then maybe the next phrase is also is, is the same species and then they'll switch to something else. But it's not just fragments like you know some birds are fantastic mimics but they it doesn't it doesn't get noticed because they just do such short fragments that nobody has time to recognize right, them right. a good example of that would be a red start common red start not many people realize that almost the entire song is imitation but that's because the imitations are so short that um the best thing is to actually record it and then sit down with a computer and look at sound by sound then it turns out that it's nearly all imitations Yet yeah, there seems to be a song that, if you hear it, you would say that's common red starts. It's more the structure, I would say. Structure. It's especially the way the song starts, and then the sort of length and the general, um, the general pattern. But the actual material is all plagiarised. Beater. First beater of the year. Yeah. I can see why you like it here. <laughs> I can see this place as a new fan. <laughs> I'd imagine anyone who comes here is going to feel the same way. Yeah. We ought to um, perhaps hear a little bit of uh, Western Orphan Warbler, so yeah. I'll, I'll edit some in. Okay. The recording we're about to hear was made when? May 2009, um, in this very area. Well, we're just arriving at this, this place I wanted to take you, which is an old, it's an abandoned village called Alaris. And it was abandoned uh, in the 1930s, I think, when remarkably there was a, there was a local war 
It, right. all, it all started as a dispute about land ownership between um, wealthy people. But the local people, uh, um, it was between their landlords, but then the people of two villages had a, had a conflict. Nobody was killed or anything, but there were actually pitched battles. And uh, re- as a result of that, the village was abandoned. And now it's in ruins. But it's a great place for things like western black-eared wheat ear and hoopoe, and I've seen blue rock thrush here as well. Um, and it's a very quiet spot. And around it is is all this habitat, this Montado habitat with with um, witch ash shrikes and western orphan warblers and things. So it's it's one of my favourite spots. I've recorded I recorded western black-eared wheat ear exactly here, but it was in May, and by the time they get to May, they're doing a actually it's a slightly less interesting song that doesn't have the variety that their song has when they arrive. So I love the recording because. It was one of those occasions where I worked out one of the bird's song posts. I put a microphone about two meters from it and the bird, sure enough, after a while he arrived, you could hear his wing, wings flapping as he arrived, uh, which is a, always a lovely sound with wheat ears in particular. The wing sound is very characteristic. So he lands, he starts singing, sings for a couple of minutes and then off he goes with the wing sound. So it was one of those Beautiful. really nice yeah. um, recording with a with a beginning and an end yeah and uh, but what really makes it is all the stuff in the background because as we've been noticing this is a really rich place mm. and by may there's other birds to add to this as well the the golden orioles are not back yet but they will right. be by may and uh i can't remember if there's a short toed eagle in the background bear, but there but it's the kind of thing you might hear at this spot as well You were saying that the song in May of the Western Black-Eared Wheat, it doesn't have the variety that it did when it first arrived. Is, is that because it's uh, picking up the song from its African uh, wintering quarters and it's still singing that when it arrives? It's exactly it. That's exactly it. There's two reasons why why I think they do that. When they arrive, first of all, they're looking for a female. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for the song to be very varied and... Uh, but also they've just, the song is just at the point of crystallizing. So they've been singing a, probably a, a plastic song all through the winter, which is very, the, the, the word plastic suggests that it's, it's malleable, it's very fluid, it's, uh, it's still slightly amorphous. That hasn't been fixed. Exactly. And they pick up lots of sounds um, from the wintering grounds mm-hmm. and also on their journey. So if you catch a Western black-eared wheat ear, here in the first days after it arrives it'll probably tell you what it heard last week <laughs> and there was one particular occasion which for me was unforgettable I was in a, a town called Mertela which is an old Moorish town on top of a hill and right on top of the, the town there's a castle and there's a little chapel which actually used to be a mosque and uh, I just made a, a brief visit to the castle once and there was this black-eared wheat ear. It was, it was late March, so it was very early. And there was a black-eared wheat ear singing on top of the of the, the chapel that used to be a mosque. And it caught my attention, because first of all, because it was imitating Tawny Pippets, I think. And then 
And then it switched to imitating an African chaffinch. <laughs> and I thought, wow, he probably heard that yesterday in Morocco. Right. And it really fired my imagination to think that this bird was just telling me where it had been the day before or the week before. Yeah. And since then, I've really wanted to capture that. But the best recordings I've made of black-eared wheatear have been later in the season. Right, right. So right. I'm still after that. I'm still trying, still trying to get that. So I was thinking, now it's 1st of April. Chances are they're just back. We're just about to find out if they're, if they're back. And, uh, and if so, maybe tomorrow morning I'll leave a microphone out uh, overnight, see if we can catch a few great spotted cuckoos flying over during the night or something. And then in the morning, hopefully when we come and pick it up, there'll be a, a nice close-up of a... <laughs> Western black-eared wheatear imitating what it heard last week in Africa. Um, but let's see if we manage to get one here. Yeah, let's head down and have a look. Yeah. So no luck on the in the village. No. Black-eared wheatear doesn't seem to be back in. No, I was hoping it'd be back, but it is early, so it's uh, it's reasonable for him not to be back yet. We might find other ones. There's something about wheatears. I find them really... I think they are characterful, aren't they? Yeah, I actually think they're they're kind of they're one of the tricksters among the birds. Yeah. Because they they often catch me out because with all their imitations of other birds, and they're also they're one of the birds that because they're so conspicuous, usually you identify one visually before you need to listen to the song. So I confess that there's probably other groups that I've made a much bigger effort with in terms of listening to their songs and things so wheatears they challenge me for that reason and um i i love the way that um some of them well black-eared wheaters in particular i'm actually thinking now more of eastern black-eared wheater but very often you'll find them on a little bluff somewhere and when they do a song flight they glide uh, to and fro while imitating songs of swallows in particular <laughs> red rump swallow house martin and it's almost like they have this little swallow fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not happy for, being wheat ears. <laughs> just just want to be a swallow. Yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah. As the years go on, are you switching more to having an, an audio reference library in your head rather than a visual reference library that the rest of us but everyday th- birders might have? I think I've always been like that. I think I've always, because my background is in music and... Uh, you know, listening has always been my stronger point, so no, I don't think that's changing. So was it the sound that f- first interested you in birding, or w- were you a birder first? Uh, actually, I was a birder first when I was a child, and then I got more and more into music in my adolescence. And then when I came back to birding in my early 20s, it was, um, it was because at that time I was composing, and I wanted... Uh, I wanted bird songs to plagiarize. <laughs> Just like the birds are doing all the time, I wanted to do that too. So I, I wanted to record birds. I started recording birds so that I could slow down their songs. That was really... And oh, now we've got a missile thrush. Yeah. When you say you were slowing down bird song, was that for the individual note or the structure? Uh, it was It was literally to to discover the melodies that are hidden in there. I mean, a classic example is you hear a Tony Pippet song. It just sounds like chlui, chlui, chlui. But if, if you slow it down, say, eight times, it turns out that chlui is actually 
Really? Yeah, or whatever. Something, you know, it turns out to have a whole melodic structure hidden in there that is just too fast for us to perceive. Right. And that's right. the kind of thing I was really interested in, just discovering all those hidden melodies, basically. And uh, it was a great source of ideas and, um, you know, really refreshing sounds. I remember years ago um, when the first slow down recordings of Swift's came out. Yeah. It was such a complex, not a song, but, you know, we'd all heard it as a, just a scream. But yeah. There were just these hundreds of little notes in there. That's right. There's amazing details mm. hidden in there. You're discovering that about plenty of other species as well now. Yes. I mean, anybody that takes the, anybody that records a few bird sound, take them to a computer, slow them down. You're going to be amazed about what's there. It all becomes very psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> That's something to look forward to. Right, we're moving on. Where are we heading next? Well, there's so much around here. It's incredibly rich. We'll probably get distracted a hundred times. Hopefully. But I'm sort of thinking, let's try and find if there's any other beetier that has arrived. Right. So that's a kind of, that'll give some structure to our meanderings. It's structured meanderings. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting In the meantime, phrase. let's see, what time is it? It must be nearly 10 now. Yeah, it's 10 to 10, so the first raptor should be appearing before long. Right. And um, still not a cloud in the sky. That's right. What a wonderful morning. Yeah. Okay, let's head off. So we've come to a different spot, Magnus, and uh, the day is wearing on heat building. It is a different habitat, but it is noticeable that um, the amount of song has died down, as you'd expect. Yeah. Actually, there's a very good illustration of the fact that we're a bit later in the morning. You'll hear all the insects humming away in the background. Uh, and we're in a very open area. In the past, I know that there were territories of golden and imperial eagle on either side of where we are now. And they used to sometimes meet. We've just seen some short-toed eagles. And uh, we're in an area with lots of, is it gorse or broom? I always get them mixed up. Broom. This broom. is definitely broom, yeah. Um, and uh, actually, this is a spectacle warbler hotspot. I was just coming for a little walk along here to see if they're back yet. Today, anything is possible. I've already been very surprised about the number of things that are back here. <laughs> but I'm not hearing any speckles so far. So, let's see. As a sound recordist, um, birds of prey flying miles away, are they still of interest? Yes, they are. Of course they are. Yeah. And, um, but some of them, they, they tend to give a lot of frustration. <laughs> I can imagine. Because most of the time, when you see a displaying raptor, can point a microphone at it but a lot of the time you don't hear anything depends on the species of course um buzzards are very vocal golden eagles are not and uh imperial eagles actually are quite vocal many times i'm i'm birding in this area and i hear ah, 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 ah. sure enough look up in the sky it's not a dog it's an imperial eagle wow <laughs> <laughs> That's not something a lot of us can say. <laughs> you really do have to be in a precise spot, don't you, fellow? Yeah, and you have to be forewarned, of course. The spectacle is back. Hold on. What was that? Sylvia rattle of some sort. Yeah. Should we go and investigate? Let's check this out before we embarrass ourselves even further. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite reassuring to know that even an expert like you has to refresh every <laughs> so often. <laughs> yeah. Certainly where I come from, it's either a white throat or it isn't. Yeah. 
I sometimes wonder if, you know, where Sylvia warblers live together. I wonder if there's some, how can I put it? I wonder if they approximate a little bit to each other's songs. So for example, because they may be, um, they may be excluding each other from their territories. So a dartford may exclude a, a Sardinian from its territory and, a, and, and and same with spectacles. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's possible that they may, their songs may converge a little bit right. in those situations. Right. It's a good excuse anyway, don't you think? An excuse to not be certain what you're listening to. <laughs> Any excuse is a great help in that matter. So you said this area that we're walking over now is, is a hot spot for spectacle. It's hard to see what would make this a particularly good area for spectacle, whereas the other areas we've driven through, which look remarkably the same, yeah. aren't. I don't know. It's, I think it's bushes of a certain height and uh, variety. And yeah, oh, I can see it. Hey, hey, it is a spectacle warbler. I'm pretty sure he just did an imitation of a Dartford call in his song. So you've been living out here for what seven years? Did you say? Uh, eight years now. Eight yeah. years, and there's still stuff for you to learn. Yeah, of course, there is. If I'm here for forty years, there'll still be stuff for me to learn. Yeah. But it's probably the stuff that the rest of us wouldn't be thinking about, like the subtle differences between certain Sylvia Warblers and yeah. do they integrate their songs where they overlap and little things like that. Ironically, sometimes it's the sounds that have most information that can be the most confusing. I mean, I can be much more certain about the difference between little bunting and rustic bunting calls, but those are just minuscule ticks that last a fraction of a, yeah. of a second. But something like this that has masses of information can be more confusing and uh, more difficult to sort out. So there's a lifetime study still ahead. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. <laughs> no, it's nice to know that these, at least one of these is back. That's another possible option for recording tomorrow morning. Right. Because now, now that they're just back, we've just been looking at Dartford Warblers doing multiple song flights. Mm. And this bird probably actually did one as well. I didn't actually see it, but I think I heard a song flight. So if it's not windy tomorrow morning and we came here and put a microphone chances are we'd get some song flights so might might consider that so the sound recordist in you is always thinking ahead yes of course yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I've, I've recorded spectacle warblers here before but not to my satisfaction and you do have to get here early because it was very still this morning but it's it is noticeable now that yeah there is quite a strong breeze picking up and yeah. obviously that if, you, if that's picked up across the microphone, that, that ruins every recording you're ever going to make. Yeah. But often it's a question of, even even in circumstances like this with a bit of a breeze, there's often a spot that you can find where there's um, a little a little spot behind a bush or something where there isn't so much wind. Just a little shelter that you exactly. can tuck the microphone away in. Yeah. The trouble is that you then have to put it low where it blocks out a lot of the view. So then you have to hope that the spectral warbler will do a song flight right <laughs> overhead, which of course is less likely. So, um, yeah. What's that one there, that song flight? A bit too far, no, it's a spectacled. That was a spectacled, not the same one. So there's at least two males here. A true hotspot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you call this late afternoon or early evening? What do you think? Um, well, we're in summertime now, and it's actually 
around seven, I think. So oh, I it's think, uh, I definitely think, evening. I think we can call it early evening. Yeah. We're on a hill. We're overlooking a huge area of woodland and pasture. There, there are cattle. We've just seen some red deer. Yeah. Just watched a short-toed eagle coming into land. Yeah, picked we, up a couple of black vultures <laughs> way off. There's been Dartford warbler here. There's been cuckoos. Um, at one time, they're just blackbirds and chaffinches, mm. which is I can well understand why you're here, Magnus. Not particularly here today, but I mean in yeah. Portugal in general. How did you get here? Uh, it was actually because um, I came to live with my girlfriend Manella. That's oh. why I'm here, and then we started a family. So sort of put down roots here that's really how it happened that's <laughs> a fairly simple answer <laughs> isn't it yeah um so i've been here now since the beginning of 2009 um and i well i lived in holland for 15 years yeah how did and you end up there because obviously not from holland no but that was first study i was studying um music composition in um in the hague in fact, I never lived in The Hague, but I lived in Amsterdam. My teacher was in Amsterdam. In fact, I made my living as a composer for a couple of years. Uh, but that isn't straightforward. No, I can imagine. And uh, I couldn't believe my luck when somebody was generous enough to pay for me to do to work with bird sounds. When Mark came to you, did he have um, did he have a sort of a plan laid out and said, this is what I intend to do, do you want to be part of it, or has it evolved since you've joined? Well, it's certainly, involved it's certainly involved because, yeah, Mark had, a, had an idea of doing something like the Sound Approach. In fact, even the name already existed as an idea for, I don't know how many years, but quite a number of years before it actually happened. It was only when the the right combination of people came together that it was able to happen and uh, some sort of alchemy took place and <laughs> and we were able to get we were able to get going has what the sound approach set out to do changed very much from what you're doing now yes but the funny thing is i think in the beginning of the sound approach probably what each of us thought we were doing was maybe not not identical to what everybody else thought so we had roughly the same idea but with slightly different emphasis right Right. I think we will always be very much polyarctic based. Right. And we make um no we make uh, excursions into other territory but really we, we know what we're best at. And uh, perhaps we might um explore further in other polyarctic areas. For example, the um, we never really meant to to do Arabia in a big way but because of the the rediscovery of Omanial that led to many more expeditions to Oman and so we've become much more familiar with Arabian birds or at least from that part of Arabia um, so yeah I suppose it depends what kind of things happen <laughs> yeah 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 do you think there are any other birds to discover in, within that area then it's entirely Mapped possible it's you entirely think it's entirely possible, possible? yeah are those going to be hidden species that emerge because of studying the vocalizations? Yeah, or else things that are discovered genetically. For example, nobody was expecting that the chaffinches from Libya, the subspecies Harterty, nobody was expecting that they would be so genetically distinct, but that's something we've only known for the last year. And right. uh, I don't know if anybody's actually suggesting it should be a species yet, but anyway, that, that was a big surprise. And there could be other big surprises like that. 
Have you recorded that one? No. Yeah. Would you like to? <laughs> I can imagine you Yeah, know. I think Arnaud's got his eye on that one in particular. Right. Yeah. I suppose really by extension, if, if you sort of went into the birds of um, North Africa, mm-hmm. there would be some fantastic comparisons to be made with the birds just the other side of the, of the Mediterranean. Yeah. Untold riches could come out of things like that. <laughs> yeah, who knows what could be hidden away in the middle of the Sahara or something. I don't know. And we were talking earlier, you were saying um, this morning about how you want to do record uh, the wheat ears, um, especially Western Black Eared, because when it arrived, it still carried songs from mm. where it had, um, I suppose, not only wintered, where it had passed through. Yeah, exactly. So there's plenty of other sort of stories in there still to oh, be yeah. uncovered. On a similar note, I mean, you get birds that are resident, like, uh, for example, the Thekla larks here probably don't go very far. But they can tell you who's been passing through. <laughs> really? For example, the <laughs> the Thecla larks down in Sagres in the southwest corner of Portugal um, imitate Richard's pipits. And that's not because they've been to Central Asia. It's because the Richard's pipits have been to visit them. <laughs> and uh, oh, wow. So they're incorporating presumably just flight calls and contact yeah. calls and things. Yeah. And there was a there was a Blythe's pipit there last autumn. So next year I'm wondering whether they'll be imitating <laughs> Blythe's pipit as well. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, that would take a lot of knowledge to pick that out from singing that kind of lark. Well, and probably it would be it would it would be very difficult to really make it uh, to convince a hundred percent. Some some bird calls are so utterly distinctive that you know it would not be hard to convince people, but others might be more difficult. Yeah, well, I suppose we're just uncovering separating species from the either end of the. Uh, the Mediterranean, that's happening now, isn't it? With like Western black-eared wheater and mm-hmm. Eastern black-eared and the Orphean warblers. And I'm sure there must be many other, I called it hidden species earlier, but I, I, there's probably a better term for it. But. Oh, there's plenty of things. I mean, we were talking about Sylvia warblers earlier, earlier today and they were quite challenging to tell the songs apart. Mm. And, um, you know, Mark has been challenging me to try to, hear differences in Dartford warblers from different places and that's very very difficult to do but yeah there could be other interesting patterns that that emerge if you look in enough detail at Sylvia warbler songs but first of all I'll try to get try to make sure I can tell the difference between spectacle and Dartford and <laughs> Sardinian it's not always easy but if they are picking up each other's songs and slightly blending them yeah it's gonna, it's almost foolhardy to say you're going to know it 100% yeah. every yeah. single time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's part of the joy of birding, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. There are these things that you, you walk past 100 times and you suddenly think, actually, mm. that's not quite what I was expecting. Yeah, and I mean, if you, don't, if you don't admit sometimes that you don't know things or that you are str- struggling with something, then you'll never learn. Mm. Yeah, it's only when you admit that something is is difficult and that you're not managing that's when you're open up to learn something new. Because you start trying to understand why. Yeah, and that exactly. opens up all the possibilities. Yeah, that's an object lesson for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Magnus Rob, the beauty of the sound approach was released at the British Bird Fair and is now available through the sound approach website at soundapproach.co.uk and the ECC Records website at eccrecords.co. Dot UK.